What's up, guys, and welcome back to Perpetually Correct, presented by Sensibly Loud Media, your one-stop shop for everything sports, sports variety. I'm in the studio with JB. JB, what's going on, man? How are you doing? J-Mac, good to be back. Another week upon us. We wrapped up the golf majors of the year. Only five tournaments left for those guys. It's To me, golf season wrapping up always signals football coming, but I think I'm just looking for an excuse to know that football's coming and feel that. So I don't know if I'm just finding things that end around the same time, but that's the way it feels. Falls upon us. It's not quite over yet, but I definitely know what you mean. And it it's just, I think for me, because I enjoy baseball so much, I know you do too, but there's, it's more of just like another flag headed towards football. And mainly because I don't pay attention to football one bit during the preseason. I don't care about preseason football even a little bit, other than just like injuries and stuff like that, which we got into last episode, which I thought was great. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I get that the, the common fan probably doesn't either, but uh, you know, the way I look at it, it's an opportunity for folks to go to an NFL stadium very cheaply, get to experience it. And, you know, I, I think them trying to be more interactive, that, that's fantastic. So we, we enjoy this trade deadline coming up with baseball, the dog days of summer, and then we just roll right into football. I mean, what a beautiful time that we're in, J-Mac. It's beautifulness in the air. It is a good time of year. I, I think it's traditionally – It's. I feel like there's more anticipation leading up to the MLB trade deadline next Wednesday because of the fact that there are not two trade deadlines anymore which I have explained at nauseum to people as far as the waiver versus non-waiver, but they got rid of that, which is great. And I feel right. like there's more anticipation leading up to this. I mean, would you do you kind of feel that in the air as far as the baseball waves go? Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit off air and on air as well about the changes and where that's heading. And it's, to be honest, I thought we were going to be sitting here today talking about some, you know, all-stars being moved, some major names being moved, and it seems like it's a stalemate almost. And I'm not sure if that's because the market's so saturated right now. You know, there's a lot of big names, a lot of teams that are willing to part with guys. And uh, to your point, the trade market's really evolved, J-Mac. And I, I think the last decade or so we've seen it's typically guys who are in a contract year being moved. And now teams are valuing so much more of getting – you know, one and a half seasons out of guys. You're, you're really looking at a lot of guys like Trevor Bauer, Matthew Boyd, Marcus Stroman, Mike Miner, guys who are under contract in the 2020 year. And I think both sides understand the value. You know, teams aren't looking to bring in the rentals, um, you know, with giving up top prospects. But then they understand, hey, if we bring in this guy, have success in the postseason, he adapts well. You know, we got him under contract moving forward next year. You know, fills kind of two holes almost. So, I think it's evolved a lot in the past uh, while outside of just the dates and waivers being removed. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. And it's definitely felt more quiet this year around this time than it usually does. I agree with that. I, I do agree with the market saturation thing, too. I think that, that makes a big difference. I think a lot of teams are kind of in the situation where they're middling around 500. I mean, I don't know that the Red Sox won't be somewhat of a seller at the deadline. I mean, I think you could get, kind of shed off some of the old contracts and, you know, maybe replenish just a little bit if you can, if they're they're going to be bad. I don't we'll get into that in a second, but I just that's what I'm saying, though, is even teams like that who just won a World Series may end up being sellers a little bit here. And it really saturates the market fast. 
Right. And I want to clarify when we're saying someone's selling, because I think there's kind of a stigma against that when you're competing, but the Red Sox are an example. And I think the Giants are as well of a team who would move parts, but then also fill holes. So just a simple example, you know, the Giants looking to move a plethora of relievers to maybe bring in a bat in the middle infield to help out. Mm -hmm. So they're not necessarily, hey, we're not moving these guys to bring in a prospect for the future. We're bringing we're selling something that we have a surplus at and we're bringing in somewhere we're depleted. And I think to your point, that's where the Red Sox are looking right now. Hey, you know, maybe we got an extra bat or maybe we're loaded up on this side. We've got, you know, maybe too much on this area. Let's bring in, you know, let's swap a hitter for a pitcher or, you know, a bullpen arm. Let's addition by subtraction type of deal, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we're not necessarily burning it down, but we're throwing in the towel on the year kind of situation and, and just – building a right. little bit for the future because you like Boston in particular, you have a lot of players that are going to kind of come up at the same time as far as contract goes. And all of a sudden you've got Benintendi, Mookie and JD on a walk year. And it's like, so, I mean, you want to do what you can to make sure that they have the team around them that one that they deserve and two, that they can grow with and continue to compete with and be successful with and I feel like we've seen that trend in like the NBA in a lot of ways where it's a lot of you know trying to appease one guy but teams are really bad at that I mean ultimately what it takes is you know people want to play with their friends and they want to play with guys that are good and that are ready there to compete and they want to see an organization that is that understands itself well enough to know 2019 is in our year so what we're going to do is sell off some of these old pieces, bring in prospects, try to sign some people in the offseason, and move on from there. And that way, whenever Mookie re-signs that contract, or, you know, whatever, insert name there, you've got a good situation for that guy to be in, not an absolute dumpster fire. It's not hard, but t teams make it hard all the time. And so I think there's... I think we always talk about the buyers and sellers, but there's th there is that middle area where people don't talk about very often. Right, and I think that's a lot of what we're going to see this year. And specifically, I think everyone's kind of playing a game of chicken because we haven't had, you know, we've had Enrique Carcion moved. We've had a couple names moved to Andrew Kashner, but we haven't had that big fish. And when you look at, there's probably at least around five to ten starting pitchers that are, you know, at least being reported available and teams are talking about. I think you're everyone's waiting for that first domino to drop. And you want to be that – if you're a seller, I always think in these situations you want to be the first. You want to set the market because usually it's at the higher end. And you don't want to be that team trying to sell your pitcher, you know, a minute before the deadline because you're probably not going to get as big of a haul. Yeah, there's uh, a sweet from spot. What we, there's a sweet yeah, spot. From what we've seen in the past. So, you know, as a Ranger fan, you know, I, I do hope we move Mike Miner. He's had a great last year-plus run. He's under contract for next year. Uh, we've talked a little bit, you know, the Rangers are opening up a new ballpark next year. So I think – I'm not sure that he actually gets sold because they certainly want a competitive product with a new ballpark. But if a guy like him is going to be moved, you certainly want to do it kind of, you know, on this front end before all the dominoes fall because then when you're only left with one or two teams looking to buy, they maybe don't have the prospects you want. You know, get the deal done. Go find it. Be you know, be efficient and don't let everything else happen, and then you get involved. Get the deal done and set the market yourself. 
and move right. on. Yeah, no, I'm with you because there have been, I mean, the Rangers are a great example of that where they've been left out to dry with, I mean, you Darvish is a great example of that where they got that done, that deal done at the last hour and they basically got Willie Calhoun for him, which better than nothing, but that's controllable pitching. That's what you were talking about earlier where it, it might make sense to be able to have that guy around, you know, and I mean, you was coming up on a contract year, so that was different, but regardless, they waited too long and probably got not nearly enough that they should have. And that's exactly your point, what happens. And, you know, there's reports, Rangers are like, hey, we want Walker Bueller, who obviously right now, you're like, gosh, just give up anything. Rangers weren't willing to add, you know, whatever else they were looking for, whether it was a hitter or bullpen arm. And that's usually what it comes down to. You know, the, the selling team says, hey, these are three guys we're interested in. Team looking to pay, it's like two of those three aren't available. You're crazy. And yeah. then you kind of get left in that in between. So, teams who are selling, if you're that, if you see it done on the earlier side, I would typically say you're more than likely looking at a better deal than, to your point, that trade deadline day. If it's a big name, it's typically not the return that you were hoping for as a selling team. I would like to point out that the Rangers are two and seven since the All Star break. They will be sellers. And I think that they will sell everything they can. You disagreed with me a little bit, or maybe I, I think I think my understanding was that you disagreed with me about Lance Lynn. Do you think that they would consider moving him? Because I absolutely do. Well, so when you look at the Rangers, they certainly brought in a lot of players on one-year contracts and, and signed some veterans, you know, like Lance Lynn to a three-year deal. And to my point earlier, a team opening up a new ballpark like the Rangers are doing, and any team for that sake, you know, doing that, you have to fill the stadium. You know, there's always that pressure, which I always find weird because I don't think Mike Miner's going to change your overall sales or <laughs> yeah. interest of a team. But for whatever reason, the front office thinks that. So you got to look at, though, you know, people aren't willing to part with anything without some type of return. And, you know, it's tough to always be able to tell the compensation level whether a guy will be a type A, type B if he's in a contract here. But, I would suspect the Rangers look to move a guy like, you know, Hunter Pence, Logan Forsythe, Estrubal Cabrera, these guys on one-year deals who more than likely it wouldn't make a lot of sense for the Rangers to bring back as they're rebuilding. Uh, but a guy like Lance Lynn, who's, you know, controllable for the next couple of years, had great success, it makes a lot of sense to keep him as well with not a lot of starting pitching organizational depth. So I get that, when you, but yeah. I mean, I do get that and I'm, I think that's exactly what makes my point, though, that that he is an asset that becomes way more valuable because he's controllable as well. I would be willing to deal considerably more for controllable pitching versus a, a reliever. And so in those situations, I think if you're the Rangers, you really realistically have to know that you're opening a new ballpark. People are going to come. That's just how it's going to happen. That's just going to happen. And if you build a team, they will come. That's for sure. I mean, they've done it before. They can do it again. I just don't think that they're ever going to come out of mediocrity because they've been mediocre for a lot longer than people want to say that they have been. I mean, they had sure. two good runs those couple of years and really good. They were really damn close. I mean, that that second year, was that 2010? That team was unbelievable. Yeah, and so it's tough. I, You know, I think there's pressure, obviously, from JD, the front office. He wants to put a competitive team out there and, uh, to your point, a lot of teams deal with this mediocrity, whether it's in the MLB, NBA, NFL. There's a lot of teams who aren't willing to necessarily tear it down and rebuild. And a large part of that is just, you know, that's your job. I mean, if you're not putting a 
you know, to circle back to maybe another organization, I would look at the Arizona Diamondbacks a handful of years ago. They brought in a rookie GM, new uh, bench manager, and they traded, you know, Dansby Swanson, who's finally putting it together, looks great for Atlanta Braves, you know, for Shelby Miller. That was kind of the bones of the trade. Yeah. People looked at that and went, you know, why would you deal a you know top first round pick, a kid that's going to probably be a cornerstone of your franchise for a starting pitcher that one good year? And it's that pressure. It's the pressure that these guys have of, hey, if I don't turn this thing around in two years or show pros, you know, you know, promising players, you're out. I mean, there's yeah. such a quick trigger in all sports across this landscape now that teams and managers aren't allowed to rebuild necessarily. So I think you see people try to cheat it or cut down, it usually ends up not working. It yeah. just doesn't. I think that's my point, is like, JD's had the leash for a long time. Like, that that team in 2009 and 10 were absolutely electric, but they haven't been that team in quite some time. And all the trades that they've made that have been really bad, and I'm picking on the Rangers right now, but there's a litany of teams in the same exact boat. Right, and, right. But, like, the, t- the trades, like, for Ryan Dempster and Matt Garza, pitchers like that that just... It, that never made any sense for those teams to do. And it just, at some point, if you don't burn it down and start over, you're going to stay in mediocrity forever. And I would argue that if I were an owner, I would give that GM the leash to burn it down if they want to. The Diamondbacks hired Mike Hazen away from the Red Sox, and he turned around and hired Tori Lavulo. I think those are the two, two guys you were talking about. Incredible yep. moves. And they gave him the time to actually make things like that happen. And that Shelby Miller for Dansby Swanson trade, I mean, didn't look great, but like at the end of the day, he's trying to put the team around. He's trying to put really good players around the rest of that team. Paul Goldschmidt was great. I mean, that Ahmed dude is unbelievable on that team right now. They've got really good pieces and they're, they've built depth. And I just feel like as an owner, you've got to give the GM the keys and say, take it for five years, no matter what happens. And I feel like John Daniels has kind of run out of that leash in a lot of ways to me. Yeah. And, and so on the front of, did you say Nick Ahmed? Is that who you're trying to quote yeah. right now? Yeah. I said that dude Ahmed. Yeah. Nick Ahmed. I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. Cattell Marte, I'd first mentioned but yeah he wasn't around fair. that time so well, i get where it comes I'm, from i'm but, talking uh, about just a consistency factor my point is that there are young dudes on that team that are really good that's my point and, yeah fair enough and so on a greater level i think you brought up a good point that we have a lot of owners across all sports who don't necessarily have a sports background so trying to have them understand the process of rebuilding can kind of hamper that so it just goes back to when you're offered a job, you got to look at a lot of factors that necessarily, you know, fans don't consider you. Know, oh, it's a great roster. Why wouldn't you take this job? Or, you know, that's an area that you need to really look at. And, you know, Brown's ownership has been criticized, you know, for many years. And that's just one of many yeah. owners that have been horrible, horrible owners. But on the flip side of it, baseball specifically is just a sport that is unrushable. I mean, when you're looking at, you're putting so much promise and hope into kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old who are going to take a handful of years before you see those results. It's so tough to give a GM less than five years because that's almost just one draft class. I mean, that's one necessarily they're coming up. That's around one draft class of high schoolers. I mean, look at Theo Epstein. He came in there and he said, look, this is going to suck. This is going to hurt, but we're going to be bad. We're selling everything. We are going to be bad, 
and there's no way around it. And three years later, they were able to win a World Series. So, I mean, it is it is a little longer than that, maybe five years. But regardless, they gave him the leash and he, to a point where he was able to walk out there and say, we haven't won a World Series in over 100 years. This is going to get worse, actually, before it gets better. That's the kind of leash you need to be able to give your GM. If you can't do that, you don't have any business or owning a sports franchise. You just don't. And I don't well, care who it is. Uh, yeah, and well, now Theo Epstein does the opposite, takes over good franchises and sells all their prospects and hopes to win. So it works. He, it's uh, well, yeah, twice. I, I guess Cubs got got their world. Uh, he he found two organizations who hadn't won a World Series, and Lord knows how long he got them there. So good exactly. for him. But that's my point. Is like he's but like they allowed him to get to, and he's again he's not the only one, but they've allowed him the leash that he needs to make it work. Yeah, and so to kind of touch back on the trade deadline, you know, you always look at, uh, you know, what's available. You know, this year there is a saturation of starting pitching and relief pitchers. Not really a great market if you're looking to bring in, you know, a three- or four-hole hitter. So it's just always interesting because there's teams out there competing who need hitting and will probably have to overpay for someone who's not going to make a difference. I think, you know, we saw Jay Bruce get brought in, which just didn't really feel like that was going to move the needle a ton. Uh, and then he gets hurt. So, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it just goes back to the point, you know, teams looking for pitching, you're in a good spot this year, looking for hitting, maybe a little tough. I agree with that. I'm actually, I I was talking about it with the great Sambino yesterday. I think I'm going to go go to Atlanta for a, the first round of the playoffs. I think I have to do that. You're penciling in the Braves. Wow. Okay. I mean, look at them. <laughs> They've been really yeah. damn good. They've taken a step and, like I thought they, like I thought that they could. I didn't know that they would. That was my big concern. Yeah, and you know, I've been on here. I've kind of bashed the Braves before the Dallas Keuchel signing just from the standpoint of I don't know what went on with their pitching development. So many young kids have struggled this year outside of the kids that they brought up, but returning MLB guys. Uh, so it's nice to see them try to stabilize. Uh, Kevin Gosman came back this Sunday night, pitched, looked fantastic. He's and, good. you know, that's a trade last year I was very high on. They didn't give a lot up to Baltimore for a pitcher who I thought was extremely undervalued, played in a tough division on a bad team. So, you know, I hate to always be that guy saying, oh, it's like a new signing, but getting Gosman back and healthy, if he's going to pitch that way, uh, that is a pretty big guy to bring in and back necessarily. I would say Atlanta probably is still looking to bring in, you know, another starting pitcher and top-tier reliever, and there's not a franchise better suited with more young guys to do that. So, that is the one team I'm extremely monitoring here because on the NL side, I don't think the Cubs do much. They don't have prospects. They don't have the payroll. I think Kimbrell was that move for them. So I am extremely interested to see what the Braves choose to do and who they choose to give up because there's a plethora of talent down there in Atlanta throughout that organization from a ball all the way up. So um, I don't know about who you're excited to see make moves, but I would – uh, quote the Braves because that lineup solid. There's nothing they need to do there. It's just the pitching that they could solidify. Yeah, I think that they'd be a good candidate for a Mike Miner type of guy. That seems absolutely. That seems like it makes the most sense. I I'm really fascinated to see what they're going to do. Um, I'm really interested to know if the Dodgers think that they need to add anything. I don't know that they do really, but you can always add depth. And I just I really. 
I feel like I'm skeptical about the Dodgers, but I'm also not. I'm also really interested to know what the Twins are going to do. They've got to add a pitcher in some way, shape, or form. And I also don't know that the Giants are necessarily going to sell on Mad Bum. Yeah, I think Madison's staying there. I can't see that. As we mentioned earlier, I think they're doing kind of a uh, the addition by subtraction, looking to bring in maybe a middle infielder for a reliever type of situation that's kind of been reported throughout this week. Um, the Twins definitely are an interesting group. They're treading water right now. I mean, you had everyone hot at, hotter than a bucket of boiling water in April and May, and now it seems like everyone's kind of hit skid row. And, you know, Byron Buxton's on the DL right now. That bullpen seems to get worse and worse every day. I just, you know, on a young team like that, even with adding, let's just say, two arms to the pen, I'm still just not sure you – I'm not sure you want to mortgage no. this loaded farm for, you know, you're probably still a year or two out from seriously thinking that you can contend. You can get hot at any time. That's baseball. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but no doubt. I, as a, if I was a Twins fan, I would not be wanting to mortgage everything. Sure, I bring in some rentals, some mid-tier guys, done. But don't mortgage everything or lose any top prospects for some middling arms. I said it on this show in May, and I got absolutely killed for it that I wasn't absolutely bought into the twins yet. And this is exactly why. And I, I remember I made the exact cons- uh, comparison that they felt like the Red Sox in 2017 where they were close. They just weren't there yet. They're a young core. They're up and coming. They look great. And they absolutely have the ability, to your point, can they get hot? Yes, because they're such a young, exciting core. It's exactly like what the Phillies were last year before landing a Bryce Harper, where that's an exciting team. that They have a lot to look forward to in the coming years and a lot of success, I think, in the coming years as well. It concerns me as a Red Sox fan, just given, you know, it's still something I would have to deal with. But regardless, I just don't know that they're there yet. I got killed for it, and I'm happy to be seeing... I'm not happy to be seeing the results for the twin sake, but I mean, this is part of the growing process. And also part right. of the sweetness of winning championships and all that is the, the stumble that it takes to get there. And the, the disappointing years where you thought we were there, but we weren't quite there yet. And then you bring in a Bryce Harper kind of thing. Right. And I think this market over the next two years with free agents starting pitching, they're going to have that ability to go out, bring in guys around Jose Barrios, to really stabilize what they have. So just as you know, I'd be looking going, you know, hey, let, let's wait it out. Let's yeah. uh, hopefully the guys develop, bring in a couple arms. But, yeah, I think to your point, it's a young team. They're always going to be streaky when you're young, and it's, yeah. a, it's a long season, and the playoffs make that even longer. And just be patient. Even if you get to the – and if you they get to the playoffs, which I'd imagine that they probably will, use that as experience. The Braves just did it last year. The Braves just weren't quite there last year. They've come back. They've looked even better this year. I, I will say that NLE stinks, though. That Phillies oh, yeah. team is bad. The Nats are bad. The Mets are terrible. It, so they benefit from that. They're a good baseball team, but their division's really bad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think the Nats is just a team I'm going to continue to monitor, and that's just solely from the fact that starting pitching is really something I wouldn't want to face um on any team and you know we we see it when you get in the postseason you know any pitching limits get stretched everything goes out the window you're doing whatever you can to win and I would not as an NL opponent be wishing myself upon anything on the Nationals and uh again another team I'm going to closely monitor and just on the back side of the AL Central 
we've talked off air and you've been beating their drum and they're finally coming around the Cleveland Indians getting healthy. Do they keep Trevor Bauer around another guy that's being talked about to be traded that's under control for the following year. So again, a theme here that we're recognizing uh, is, you know, one plus controllable year guys. And, you know, Corey Kluber slowly getting back is what they're saying. You know, Brad Hand certainly had a great year and uh, quietly for all you fantasy fan fantasy fans out there, Jose Ramirez, you know, slowly turning back into himself, really having a great last month of July here. Wildly productive. He's always been that kind of guy, but he's been a pumpkin so far this year. But yeah, yeah to your point, he's turning it around. Love to see it. I think the only thing about Cleveland to me is just that, I mean, you just made a lot of great points about a lot of awesome things that they have on that team. I don't know that selling controllable pitching is in their best interest because if, I mean, given their division and, I mean, where the Twins are at and all that, like, I don't, I, I mean, they're not far from making a run. No, and I think a month ago, different story. But, you yeah, know, now agreed. to your point, they're, they're only three games out of it in the division, and they're sitting at the top of the wild card three-plus games up on Tampa uh, on, you know, being eliminated from the playoffs. So it's a team I can't imagine selling, but that that's the narrative that's been around, and I hate that. You know, the media has just made that a thing since Cleveland struggled out of the gate, the Twins were hot all of May and June. Everyone's, everyone's dismantling this team. They're going, oh, they're terrible. But, you know, the thing that as a Cleveland fan I'd be concerned about Francisco Lindor has been very vocal about, you know, testing the free agent waters in a few years. And if you're Cleveland, you got to do everything you can to not lose your star player. I mean, you certainly have a nucleus there. You got a couple guys in the minors. You want to continue to make this team competitive enough where he's interested in sticking around because that's a teardown. If you lose Trevor Bauer in two years, you lose, you know, Francisco Lindor following that that's when you start to look at this situation going, all right, this may be a team that needs to be a little bit rebuilt. So I'll be intrigued to see if Cleveland's willing to part with what they have in the minors. They're going to stay pat and just think, hey, you know, we're hot. We're going to ride this. So uh, another team I'm going to very closely monitor who I think will be extremely active or at least active listeners. Yeah, for sure. I want to end baseball talk on the AL East here for just a second. Uh, I'll simply put it this way. Yankees good, Boston bad. Yeah, that's I, Yankees continue to do it. Great for them. That lineup, I, I, I don't want to face that if I'm any team. That's I'll I'll say this though, man. Like Boston has only struggled because of their pitching. They've got the, they've scored the most runs in the le- in both leagues. Like in the Major yeah. League Baseball, they've scored 575 runs. Nobody else is has even gotten there. I think it's 564 is the Yankees. So they've scored a lot of runs. That just proves. Their pitching is terrible. Their pitching has been terrible all year. And, I mean, you and I talked about this a lot throughout the offseason and coming into the season, and and I beat the the wrong drum on this a little bit, so I always own when I'm wrong, so I am here. I didn't see the problem necessarily with letting Kimbrell go for what he wanted and Joe Kelly go because <laughs> hasn't really moved the needle much. He's been bad in L.A., so, I mean, that really would have been a wash. So... But I didn't anticipate Carson Smith being gone and Tyler Thornburg being gone. I didn't ex- anticipate a situation where Nathan Eovaldi is going to be the closer. That I mean, he looked good last night in his first appearance, but uh, he didn't have any command, so he's got to figure that out. But his stuff looked good. So I just 
I'm furious with how the pitching has gone. And then the starting pitching just hasn't been great either. So it hasn't helped that. It feels like if they could get that clicking, they're going to be in good shape. They have a series right now. They're playing against Tampa Bay, and then they go to New York after that. This week really defines what the Red Sox are going to do at the deadline and what the rest of this year is going to look like. And I, I mean, there's no way they're going to catch the Yankees, though. There's no way. And it, it correct me if I'm wrong. I think Boston's next four series are all versus Tampa or New York. They are. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about a stretch of make it or break it and. You know, again, no one wants to talk about Tampa. Everyone keeps saying, you know, talking about the Yankees and Red Sox. Like Tampa's a playoff team right now. That's a a team that is getting healthy, starting pitching wise. They have the reigning Cy Young. Got a lot of talent there that I'm not going to write off. We say it every year. You just got to make it to the playoffs. Who just got to get hot at the right time. So um, I'm not going to write them off. I'm not going to write Boston off. You can't with that. You know, Boston's taking the Oklahoma Sooners approach. We're just going to outscore you every night. Most of the time, it's going to work. Unfortunately, the defense has been, and in so this situation, bad. the pitching's been so bad that you ha- that hasn't panned out. But um, I just think we're in for such a treat of a deadline. And then the last coming, you know, years, we it's packed. I mean, there's no one running away with wild cards. There's no, you know, clear advantage on that right now. So I think we're just in for a treat as fans overall. It's going to be wild to watch, man. It's absolutely going to be wild to watch. I'll give you a little bit of poetic justice to end baseball talk. I was on the Twitch stream this morning on the, since, you know, for Since Blue Loud playing a game of MLB The Show. You know, I like to have some coffee in the morning and think through a little bit of baseball, just trying to get my, my morning started. And, you know, people can go out there and watch it. So find us. Sure. It's a little shameless plug. But I took the Red Sox. I Basically, I'll, a lot of times I'll play the the game the day of so I played their second game today against Tampa and they I had them at a 2-0 lead going into the ninth and I lost at a walk-off so that I would say is poetic justice the Red Sox that's about how this season has gone and it just it really infuriated me because it just you know I was literally it was and I had two outs was the worst part about it so you know go out there and check it out I I was really pissed off I, there was a game the other morning where I rage quit because I was so pissed off at the bullpen. So it, it, they're out there, you know, they're they're out there. But it just it seems like that's how the actual season has gone overall. Yeah, pretty much. That's been the nutshell. So we're excited here at SLM about the trade deadline. We'll be covering it. You know, I know the outfielder pod will dive in it deeper, but we'll certainly give you some breakdowns as well this week. Definitely. We'll Next be doing that. And we're going to do some uh, I think we're going to do a live show on Wednesday night to kind of talk a little bit about the trades that happen after the deadline passes and all that and kind of talk about stuff as it comes in. So should be pretty good. All right. So we were talking about football at the beginning of the show, 44 days away from regular season football. That's the football that counts on this show. 44 days guys. And I was the, the story that you've been talking about on Twitter, which has made me laugh immensely. And I've seen it several other places as well, but I love how actively you've been commenting on it is LSU's new football facilities that they've got remodeled with all the the sleep pods and all that stuff and all the pictures up against the lot the library of like you know the plaster coming off the walls and and all that <laughs> an absolute amazing gem of a story well so for those of you who aren't maybe on Twitter kind of behind this week LSU released on their official Twitter page their new locker room and players lounge that they revealed out uh, first of all LSU is not the first to redo this. 
you know, this is very common in today's recruiting to have an absolute gem for these players to hang out with. TV is beautiful. You mentioned a sleeping area, these sleeping pods, and, you know, got a lot of attention, positive attention. You know, players are ecstatic. It's a huge recruiting tool. First of all, Coach Ogeron, I was shocked he even allowed this. He seems like such an old-school guy, LSU's <laughs> head coach. I thought he was going to make these kids just, you know, have a have a tent and be in their spot. But um, an LSU professor, you know, tweeted at, you know, this situation and really felt uncomfortable with, you know, you know the supplies that they're on the educational side while the football team is, you know, having a $28 million locker room. And then on a greater level, Tyrone Matthew paid for the players' lounge at LSU. So, you know, th- there's a lot of money and revenue that is produced by these football teams, not just directly from on the field, but, you know, TV contracts, conference contracts, uh, you know, memorabilia purchase. So I've never had a problem with these teams spending because if you look at the revenue brought in based on what they spend, it's nowhere close. Right. And I think, I think sports is, you know, north of 90% of the revenue for a lot of schools, especially these SEC teams. So, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, uh, the quarterback of LSU, you know, kind of shot back at this professor at Louisiana State University. And, you know, he took an issue with, you know, why do you, why do you think you should share in the revenue that we bring in? And, you know, not that he's wrong, uh, but certainly not the grounds or place to do it. Probably private conversation. Uh, of course, the tweet was deleted, but, you know, if you search for it, you'll find it all over the internet. Oh, yeah, it's out there. Um, exactly. But, you know, th- this is going on everywhere. As we mentioned earlier, these are beautiful facilities, and it's what it takes to bring in top-tier talent. And it's an investment. It's just like anything else. You spend this money that's brought in on the players and their facilities. It brings in better players, which puts a better product on, which produces more money. Exactly. I have absolutely no problem with any of this, but I do have a problem with people thinking that, Revenue from one stream of the university should be directly or directed towards another one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a student tweeted out a picture of their library that apparently is having issues with leakage and water. Certainly, you want to address that, but I don't know how those two correlate. There's certainly a budget, they'll certainly renovate that. But, um, J Mac, if you've ever been to a major university like LSU, Bama, University of Texas, there's going to be places that are newer than not, you know, like university of North Texas here redid their business center. Well, you can't redo every building at once, right? That's not going to happen. So I, I just think you're isolating a situation, which you can't do in this. I'm sure there's many libraries on LSU and I'm sure they're all not having a leakage issue, but yeah. to say that they shouldn't get a new locker room because there's a leak in the library is absolutely absurd. Well, and the other thing is, like, to your point, like, these donors are giving to the football program or the science you right. know, program or the the math program. Like, they're giving to these specific colleges within a university. Like, that's how that works. And it's, it's not, I mean, kind of to further your point, it's not all in a big old bank account somewhere. And, you know, we all dip into it whenever we need. That's not how that works. And so it's... Nope. You know, like, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at the donors that gave that money. But, I mean, you know, I mean, there are ways to do that anonymously and all that, I'm sure. But, like, regardless, like, that's where the money's going. So, you can't really complain with that. 
Like so, no. Sue the the university for spending the money that they're given. I mean, come on, what are we talking about? To your point, they're recruiting tools, and that's what it comes down to. It's a it's yeah. a hilarious story though that that's been going around, and every it's really drawn one side of the coin or the other. People are either outraged or they just don't give a shit. Well, and I want to give the other side because I think that's important here. Not every school is dominated in sports, and that's what they're known for. Right. You know, I've spent some time out in San Diego and. Uh, San Diego State University, they do have an amazing uh, – I'm going to butcher this, but they do research in the water. I'm trying to blank on what that name is. It's not an aquatics program. Aquatic but science. There you go. And it's beautiful. It's a modern art. They even – they have such a nice space that they even do weddings out there because it's such a nice facility, for goodness sakes. Right. But then you go to their football stadium that's five miles away from the ocean. It's a brick city. It's worse than – the Oakland A's stadium, for goodness sakes. No one gives a crap about football. And the donors, you walk around, everything donated by this person, donated by this doctor. Oh, yeah. That's what they produce. Right. That's where the money comes in. So for every example of a football team getting too many donations, I'm sure there's Harvard, Yale, all these beautiful libraries from former students that weren't athletes doing that. So there's if you ever want to isolate it, there's always examples the other way. So, Absolutely. No, for sure. I'm with you. And, I mean, I can't wait for the JMAC School of Business. It's going to be great. But in the meantime, I'm going to, you know, I, I just I think that people are grossly misunderstanding how the system works. Yeah, they just want to get mad to get mad. Yep. That's all it is. Well, biggest story probably of the week, football-wise, has definitely been the Tyreek Hill suspension, or lack thereof. I'll let you lead off on this because this just makes me so incredibly angry, but I feel like we have to talk about it. Yeah, and we'll give some background. We'll try to stick to the <clears throat> excuse me, facts of the situation. You know, over a, a few years here, there's been reports and there's been uh, video and audio of Tyreek Hill, the wide receiver for Kansas City, being abusive towards uh, his uh, significant other and children. Uh, of his and the NFL took in all that evidence, um, you know, and decided not to give him a suspension based on those actions. And certainly anyone who follows the NFL, there's been a lot of suspensions over the year from, you know, Ray Rice, who is probably the most notable from his assault. Um, certainly Ezekiel Elliott two years back now from a case that he was found innocent in the court of law, Roger Goodell decided to give him six years. Uh, or six games, not six years. Six years, Jesus. <laughs> six years. You know, Tom Brady got four games for, uh, I would, well, we won't dive into that. Yeah. But th there's been plenty of situations where players have been suspended for a lot less and for situations where they were found innocent. And Tyreek Hill, who is guilty as day with plenty of evidence, was decided to go free. And I got to say, J-Mac, personally, it, I, I don't understand it, and I'm interested on in your opinion, and not just from a competitive or football standpoint, but as a everyday person and people going throughout our society living free, it, I, I have a trouble dealing with someone who's you know abusive in that nature and being able to roam free, first of all, and then play in the NFL and make millions of dollars. This I agree with that 100%. This league is the biggest piece of shit that exist in sports. And that is saying a lot 
because there are a lot of seedy underbelly things that go on with FIFA and a lot of other professional sports. But this kind of shit makes the NFL the absolute worst about it. This pissed me off whenever they did this to Brady, obviously, but not even because it happened to Brady. It would have pissed me off and not to put these two things on the same playing field. I want to make sure we, we right. distinguish the two, but they just doled out punishment without really thinking about how it would affect things and not thinking that someone would go and fight that. And that's what they do here. They decide to play judge, jury, and executioner whenever it's convenient for their narrative. And it cheapens the apps, the people that spend the time and the emotional effort to call out domestic violence. And that's what pisses me off about it the most because this league condones this shit. And they write the narrative every time. They have no consistent policy. They how many, how long has this been a problem? This has been a problem since Ray Rice, and they still haven't fucking figured it out. It just infuriates me, and it makes me so like it just enrages me that they have such a good product yet they still can't figure this out. And then they hide. And Roger Goodell is the worst of them all. He hides behind the fact that he make. I mean, he makes a. Uh, like $45 million a year or some shit like that. And he basically just decides, oh, hey, I maybe want to punish this guy. And uh, no, he's good. I'm not feeling like punishing somebody today. There's no rhyme or reason or explanation for what they do. And that is wrong. It's wrong. All of it's wrong. I would agree. And to put some context here for folks, the collecting bargaining agreement that was agreed upon, uh, this is between the players and the NFL uh, you know, it's supposed to be used to protect the players, whether that's, you know, financially, injury-wise, and in situations like this. Right. There's a clause in there where Roger Goodell can basically rule with an iron fist. If he doesn't like it or sees differently, he could just change it. And he, his final word goes. Yeah. Which, that that's an issue here. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, most politics aren't run that way. Yep. Um, and that's why it needs to change. So for those of you keeping track, the current CBA expires between the 2020 and the 2021 season. And if this isn't at the top of the list, that needs to be addressed among a lot of changes in the NFL. But there is no reason that when you have outside, multiple outside councils, multiple you know, folks go through the same investigation and concluded different results, that he can just overrule that. I mean, there's nowhere else where that makes sense. And in this situation specifically, maybe we don't have all the details. Of course, we can only, you know, read and watch what we're given, but it is hard to understand how you would have this ruling with the evidence that was presented to the general public. And if there's something that we don't know and something this that matters this much, at least I believe, there should be an explanation. At minimum, I was thinking about this in terms of sensibly loud yesterday. The unfort the the fortunate part about working here is the fact, and you can you can attest to this, is the fact that you can do whatever you want. I really don't care. I just want to grow our brand. That's the whole point, right? Is that fair? Right. Yep. And yep. the unfortunate part about that is I basically give you the freedom to do whatever until I have to turn around and say, Nope, can't do that, you're gone. And that's shitty too, right? Right. But yep. the difference is if that's the case. Say that it's you that does something. I don't know. Yeah, you know, making shit up. But say that you do this, right? Say you write some inflammatory blog, and I have to shit candy for it. I have to turn around and and tell people why this was wrong, and this is the reason I made this decision. 
with this consistency and that always being the case. And that's my right. point. And this is a tiny little level, and I understand that. And I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not calling myself out or anything like that, or, you know, I'm not, not patting myself on the back here. My point is, it's not a hard thing to understand. All it takes is consistent policy and an understand, even in an, an area where you know that the freedom is ultimately there for you to operate, you still have, like, that's why that clause is there for Roger Goodell. To be able to step in in situations like this and say, hey, this isn't right. We need to punish this player for this. And I get if you're not criminally charged, that's a whole slippery slope. We've talked about that with OJ. We talked about a lot of that stuff. But like, right. regardless, you have to just come up with consistency. And that's what drives me crazy. I use Tom Brady up against this for a really good reason. He punished Tom Brady more for quote-unquote deflating footballs in a game that didn't matter, take away all those points that they scored in the first half, and they still would have crushed the Colts in that game. Take away, you know, like they they basically threw the book more at Brady than they did for a guy that beat the hell out of his girlfriend or kid, and that is wrong. That's wrong. Well, both. Yeah, he beat both. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would agree, and it's just frustrating from a, a – Kind of have a moral dilemma there. To your point, it's a great product. Love watching the NFL, but I mean, go oh, jeez, it's tough to also support a league that's gonna, you know, not step in there. And yeah, it, it, this isn't the only thing they've gotten wrong. So I mean, this it you have to follow the money. We always talk about that on this show, right? So I mean, it goes back to the owners, and the owners don't want these guys off the field. Be I mean, look at Jerry with Ezekiel Elliott. He didn't want him off the field because he knew what that meant as far as revenue goes, losing, you know, the potential of lost games, you know, so on and so forth. And right. I, so the, that's where the owners are coming from. So, in other words, they don't really give a fuck what these players do. And that's a terrible, that's not acting like a human being. These owners should be outraged. I don't give a fuck what it costs Jerry Jones. He can fucking do something about this. Robert Kraft can fucking do something about this. And they don't. They choose not to, and that's my problem with it, too. Yeah, Rodgers got way too much control. He's clearly got naked pictures of someone. Yeah. He seems to, it, you know, all, and I always joke about this. You know, when you're waiting on a ruling from the NFL, and if it's typically going to be negative, like, you know, a suspension or negative press, I guarantee you it will come out Friday afternoon. Yeah. It always has. Oh, yeah. It always will. Because what does that do? That's a pretty one-on-one, you know, politics book. Release bad information on a Friday because, the you know, you won't have the national TV people able to cover it till Monday. It won't be as talked about. You hope something else happens bad over the weekend that brushes it under the rug. And it seems to always work for the NFL. Roger Goodell will never come out and do a press conference, but he'll release a statement on Friday afternoon. Time Monday rolls around, some Florida man did something crazy, and we'll forget about it. <laughs> We can't always rely on that. It's commonly referred to as a media dump. And it's yeah. just, it's, they do, you're 100% correct. They do it every time. It just, it's astounding. And like, you know, we look at Roger Goodell as part of the problem, and he is to, a, to an extent, but like the owners put him in charge. Like he's the voice of the owners. That's, that's the whole idea. And the fact that the league itself, including the mouthpiece, can't get their own story straight and they can't get out of their own way, is a problem. And well, don't you think that yeah. it ultimately is? So I could use Ben Baseball as a great example. Ben Baseball has been a lifelong Packers fan. Guess who refuses to watch the NFL for this exact reason? Ben Baseball. 
and like I know one fan doesn't matter in the grand scheme of it because people aren't aren't you know cognizant enough to do their research on this stuff and understand that you know these guys are not meant like they they can't be put on pedestals like this because this is what happens they feel like they don't have any limits or rules and that's not fair and what ends up happening is you like if think about if you could turn those eyes back to the league by making a statement and saying we're standing up for what's right here regardless of the play on the field that puts that kind of issue over what winning and lo- and losing that's a great message for the ki- like the kids of America or you know the world I should say and it turns fans back on because they understand the league is actively trying to do something about this right it seems like a better play, right? I I don't understand why the the bury your head in a stand approach is still being used here. No, nope. and you know, a couple years back they were doing negotiation talks for Roger Goodell and an extension, and uh, reportedly, uh, you know, you can only take on what we get reported. Jerry Jones was the only owner who wanted to discuss, you know, removing him or at least not extending him, and he was silenced very quickly. Everyone was like. Jerry, sit down, shut up. We're all against you on this. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, if you have a situation such as that, someone who has that much power, even if they're doing a great job, such as, you know, a guy like Adam Silver in the NBA, who I think is doing fantastic, you at least need to entertain. And if someone has something to say, at least give them the floor to look at that other side. And they didn't. And it, and it's, that's why we're in this mess. I I you I mean you know I wasn't I don't even I actually I don't know that I ever heard that but regardless I think I mean Robert Kraft is guilt, guilty they're all guilty it's not just Jerry or anything like that and I mean good on Jerry if he was trying to do that but I mean he could do more he could make that happen Jerry is the most powerful one of the most powerful owners in the NFL I mean I I think it could be argued that the NFL wouldn't even be nearly what it is if it weren't for Jerry Jones is that fair I agree but I think. As we've seen, I think he's maybe lost some lust and power. Uh, yeah. That's just what happens as you get. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a league. Where he's at in his life. Right. Well, and it's so there's that, but it also, like, as the league grows, teams like, you know, I don't want to pick on any team specifically, but like the Titans, for example, a smaller market team, they start to matter more and their voice comes to the table more. And that has that share has to come out of somebody. And unfortunately, I think that's Jerry in this case. Right. And I mean, he's had his own fair share of blunders that he screwed up. So, I mean, I don't want to want to pat him on the back too much personally, but I just, my point overall and kind of what you were saying, the owners do have a way to handle this. They just don't. Right. So, so it, it's disappointing. So I can I encourage you guys to continue to do your homework. You need to be well-informed because the media will try to spin this or kill it. I've been shocked at how little coverage or national coverage that this story has gotten. And, I'm sure if you follow the dots, there's somewhere down the line where <laughs> the NFL or Rogers got a lot of ties to uh, some media outlets that have maybe helped uh, tamper this down. Agreed. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's a shitty part of this too. I mean, it all. I mean, it's not like the NFL doesn't know how that plays, and they don't know what they're doing in those cases. We talked. I mean, the media dump right. is a great example of that. But there's millions of others of other examples that of you know on the smaller scale when these things happen. And it just, right. man, I, I, I can't, I, I just, I don't understand. And I don't know that any other league is that much better about it, really. I think baseball's been pretty good about it. But, uh, I mean, 
I don't know if it's really hard to quantify what enough means. You know, like as far as are we doing enough here? Is it ever going to be enough? And that's not to minimize it by any by any means, but I think it also minimizes it by actually trying to do something about it, but just doing it willy nilly like the NFL is here. It looks way worse. Hey, maybe the XFL will figure it out, and all the players will just go there. Wouldn't hey. that be <laughs> Wouldn't that be wild if McMahon was the one to throw people out for that kind of shit, and he was the actual uh, martyr there, and that's the turn the XFL took? Wouldn't I mean you got to do something to differentiate yourself? Maybe he'll come hard on come down hard on those rulings. I don't know. <laughs> Make him I, step in the wrestling ring, something like that. Oh. Yeah, you're suspended for a year. You're forced to do WWE. What a suspension. Yeah, dude. No kidding. That's brutal. I love that idea. We'll pitch it to him. We'll send an email to his people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You have to. But it's a crazy story, man. And it just it feels like there's one of these every year. It really does. And it just it ever since Ray Rice, it's happened every single year. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to, I mean, what do you do to systemically change that? Is there anything they can do, like, as far as, like, education-wise? I mean, that's tough, right? I mean, I think it just goes to the same nature that you encourage outside of these situations, which is, you know, encouraging people to speak up, be vocal, you know, not hide. You know, there's plenty of hotlines for, or, you know, outlets for people dealing with situations such as abuse. So I think just. I don't know. I think it, it goes back, you know, to a lot of levels, whether that's just even high school or parenting. I mean, being brought up to know that that's not right. And, you know, as a young man, make sure you're being influenced by the right folks. So at this point, when they reach the NFL, that they kind of probably have their morals and what they believe or think is what right and wrong. So um, I'm, I'm just not sure what that looks like, but there's people who get paid a lot of money who are supposed to figure that out. So we need them to be doing their job on a better level. It's a little interesting to me, and I don't know if these things really necessarily cor- uh, correlate, but you don't see nearly as much of this in the NBA because, I, I, well, I don't really know why specifically, so I should say that. But the one thing that I've always been curious about, and I would think would be the opposite, is the fact that in football, you've got to stay in college for a few years. And so I think that's a good thing because you actually have to go to class. You have to, you know, I think college is really important in a lot of different ways. And it's not necessarily what you gain in the classroom. It's the experience. It's learning how to deal with yourself and, you know, hold up your end of the bargain, you know, hold up your scholarship, you know, all that stuff. I think it's a responsibility tool for a lot of these kids. And you don't have that in basketball. And it's interesting to me you think you would be the other way around where you have a lot more of these instances in basketball versus football, but it really isn't. And that's, that's interesting to me too. And again, I know that's probably uh, a a reach and probably trying to tie issues together that aren't necessarily, you know, related, but it just does make me pause and think a little bit. Well, I think, I think that's just more of a numbers game. Yeah, Um, that's fair. You know, there's certainly a larger number of players in the, you know, MLB and and NFL than, you know, a hockey team or a basketball team. So not to, I want to be careful how we walk this line. I just, anytime you take a larger scale amount of people in any situation, there's going to be, you know, more different results than a smaller scale. Right. No. And I get that. And again, I I don't think that they necessarily correlate, but it, it just, it seems like that would be the other way around because of how important those formative years that you get in college are. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I could, I could see it, that just goes back to my point of I think it stems a lot before the NFL 
such as college and high school and your upbringing, I think that can certainly have a major influence on how you act as an adult or grown up or professional. I think the other side or the other point that you should make here is that this is what happens when you give me too much time to think about these kinds of things. <laughs> sure. That that too. There's that point. <laughs> yeah, I got a little heated there, huh? A little more heated than usual. Well, you know, it's a topic that's important and something that needs to be addressed. So it's it's certainly not a joke. I know we're a sports podcast, but when this is going on within that realm, uh, we certainly want to make sure you're you're well informed as, you know, listeners and fans of the league and understanding what's going on and, you know, the areas that can improve and uh, the changes that, you know, need or should be made. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, you, you and I were talking about this the other day because you started dabbling and changing things around in leagues and, you know, starting to kind of think through that a lot. And I do that all the time. That's why I was kind of joking with you about like, welcome to the club, man. It's a, it's a slippery <laughs> slope because all of a sudden you're simulating three or four seasons of major league baseball being crammed into the EPL model. You know, like there's a lot, right. <laughs> it's a slippery slope for sure. But like, I, I love thinking about the things that these leagues can do better. And I mean, at, at the minimum, I think it's important that the fans like us are out there speaking up and saying, this is, this is here's ideas like I, that's if if anything and I'm not saying that anybody even cares but like if anything get some ideas from different places and start to formulate how to fix these problems and how to go you know and it doesn't matter what problem it is and some are way more drastic than others but it just seems like if you really sit down and put some thought into it there's a logic that can be used in every way to fix a lot of these issues that seem very obvious to me yeah. so anyway well, this is a great example of that well, I did want to get on a more sports-related tension back on baseball, J-Mac. And, you know, we could probably you know, relate this on a larger scale uh, with the trade deadline. You know, there's – I want to get your idea here. So, as you know, you're going through an NBA, NFL, any draft, and you see all the time how teams – let's say you're, you're both targeting a tight end in the draft. And an easy example is a couple of years ago, uh, Dallas had Jason Witten retire – um, and coming up, they were picking in the second round, and Dallas Goddard, a uh, high-end tight end, was there. And everyone's going, oh, this is perfect. It's going to follow the Cowboys. It's an obvious pick. What happens? The Eagle tr Eagles trade up and take them. You know, they kind of blocked out that ability for the Cowboys to bring them in and put them in a little tough situation. So the MLB trade line coming up, we talked about a lot of great names, J-Mac, and we talked about issues that these contenders have. Now, if you're – you know, let's just say Boston and New York is an easy example. Uh, New York's probably very well, you know, could tell that Boston needs relievers. Well, in a situation where Boston's looking at, let's just say, Will Smith of the Giants, you know, a closer could be a great addition for the Red Sox. Would you as the Yankees, we don't see this, be proactive, be like, hey, we're going to take them off the market. So we maybe don't need Will Smith. We don't need another reliever. But we're not going to let the Red Sox pick him up. We're going to bring him in. And I don't feel like we ever see that. You really and, don't. And I don't know why, because it happens all the time in the draft. Happened this year in the NBA. You know, the Timberwolves traded up for Jarrett Culver. They knew they had to move up to get him. The Hawks were interested. Like, hey, we got, we got to move up. We got to block this team from getting him. So why doesn't that happen at the trade deadline for sports? I, I, I don't think we ever see that. So you mean baseball specifically or sports in general? Well, I, I think specifically with baseball, it's an easy topic because we're in it right now. Yeah. Baseball has obviously the largest activity at the trade deadline to any sport. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, a relatable topic. 
and it's not like every year there's this influx of pitching and there's usually a handful of top names and especially when you get down to those final hours so I I just don't get why we see teams let another team swoop in fill that exact need that they had yeah when you could have added them and kind of you added talent and didn't allow your rival to so there's got to be numbers there to back that up but I think the bigger thing is that I think baseball specifically has always had somewhat of a so it's a, an unwritten rule sport, right? Sure. I think there's always been a little bit of a an unwritten rule that you don't mess with other teams and you know as far as business goes. So like for example, whenever uh the uh the tr- non-waiver deadline expired, right? So you had you basically had to claim a player off of waivers after july 31st that's basically how it used to work and so and then you'd have a a deadline in august and that would be it they've they have since now put or just combined the whole thing because it didn't really make sense to have two trade deadlines and but previously a lot of teams would put big name players out on waivers like justin verlander was a great example where they like basically any team could come in and claim him and work out a contract deal with him basically but or you know with the other team but it's kind of understood that like whenever Detroit had a deal done with the Astros and they put him out on waivers that no one else is going to claim him that's just always how it's kind of gone with baseball and sure so I think that's a big part of it is that that like with baseball specifically that that is a like an understood thing I guess and I mean that's just something that's always happened now could we go that direction in the coming years Absolutely, and I think it would make a lot of sense. You do give up. I mean, think about the complexity that adds to trades, though, too, of like, you know, if you're just trying to make this happen, you don't want to give up too much. So, I mean, the Yankees are a a great example of a team that could pull this off right now where they just have depth and depth and depth and somehow have managed to add more depth and more depth and could still continue to add depth. They have those options, but most teams usually don't. And I... I think you have to concentrate on what you actually need, right? I mean, is that is that a plausible explanation for at least baseball? Yeah, and I think you actually hit on a point I didn't think about beforehand. And you look at the NFL and NBA, I think every time we hear about these agreed-upon deals and then they fall through or another team comes in, you know, the Knicks did it this year where uh, Morris backed out, the Spurs went to the Knicks and – you don't ever see that with baseball. I mean, how many times – I can't even remember a player where it was reported, hey, you know, Bryce Harper's going to the Phillies for this amount, and then suddenly the last second, you know, the Nationals came in and, you know, actually gave $10 million more and took them back. I think to your point, there's just this unwritten rule of respect in baseball where, hey, there's a deal done, we're moving on. We're not going to try – even though yeah. we could, we have the opportunity to necessarily change it or throw a better or different offer – it really seems like in baseball there's a respect of, hey, you know, here's the deadline. Give us your best deal by, and we're taking it. And even after that, we're not going to come back and ask you for more. You know, it's such a unique aspect that I don't think we see in the MLB or the NFL or NBA. Yeah, you don't really see it in any major sports. The one thing that I'd never really understood is like, no, I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to say, I guess, but like, like Jacoby Ellsbury, for example, like I was relatively upset whenever he left, although I got it and I was fine with not taking that risk and ultimately look how it worked out. So right. I think 
that I mean, I was fine with him going. I was pissed that he went to the Yankees, but you got to do what you got to do. I get that. But like, so that that usually does irritate me whenever someone ends up with X team that I I pissed off and that I don't like. That that usually irritates me. Like, for instance, if Kyrie would have went to the Lakers, I would have been furious. But you know right. that didn't happen, so it doesn't matter. But the other side of that though is I don't understand whenever say the Red Sox were in just a complete burn down mode. This happened back in 2014. They traded for Stephen Drew, or they trade Stephen Drew to the Yankees for nothing, and that was the first trade they had made between those two teams. In like, like there was only like one other trade between then and like Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Yeah, like just ridiculous. And it's like if the Red Sox were really bad. And you're burning it down, and the Yankees have the best offer. Take the fucking best offer. I don't care if it's a division rival. Who cares? I yeah, just I feel it, like that happens a lot in baseball. Yeah, and so I think it's just interesting to point out the differences in sports and that respect factor. And I've just found it interesting that we don't see more of the necessarily trade blocks, and it probably has to just do more with the fact that there is such a market. You know, if you block trade a well there's trade b c d and e that can happen that will probably accomplish the same deal but you know these bigger names you know you mentioned you darvish early on you know he's one of if not the bigger names at that time so uh just to see those top tier guys not get blocked more or maybe someone swooping and maybe it does happen and we just don't hear about it but i thought it was an interesting you know thought of how baseball operates compared to maybe other sports Oh, it definitely is. And like NBA has gotten way more competitive that way and more cutthroat. And everybody wants to blame the uh, player empowerment era, which that's another discussion for another day because that's a long discussion, I think. But (laughs) everybody wants to kind of blame that. But I mean, it's become very cutthroat. I mean, everybody I was talking about this a little bit ago. Everybody wants to play with their friends and everybody wants, you know, wants to be in the best situation and they're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And I think that changes the, the way that these leagues operate and the way that trades happen and all that. And I mean, we could get to a point where it, you know, screw a gentleman's agreement. I'm doing this. I'm taking Verlander out from under the Astros. It's not going to work, but you know, we could get there. You never know. That'd be interesting. That's for sure. It really would. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. We uh, would remind everyone to follow us on social media. That's at sensibly loud on Instagram and on Twitter, sensibly loud media on Facebook and make sure to check out the website. That's www.sensiblyloud.com. And also remember, please give us a call. We want to talk to you guys. We want to hear what the sports fans like us think. That number, to remind you guys, 972-885-9361. We will be back next week with another edition of PC. We will have a special guest too, J-Mac. Oh, that's right. Can't wait, man. Have a good week, buddy. You too. You too.